Welcome to Great Points, financial insights for improving your relationship with money. I'm Matt Schroeder, Certified Financial Planner and Director of Financial Planning at Great Point Wealth Advisors, a fee-only registered investment advisory firm with offices in Boston and Danvers, Massachusetts. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about a what-if scenario. Uh, this question came to me from a friend of mine uh, as I was kind of you know, brainstorming ideas of content to talk about. Uh, and you can insert different dollar amounts for to make this your own. Um, but basically, the question was, if I came into some extra money, let's say I got a $30,000 infusion of cash, uh, and that you know could come from a bonus or a gift or inheritance, wherever those funds might come from. But let's say you find yourself with an extra $30,000 in your checking account one day, what's the best thing to do with it? Uh, and, and in this situation, uh, the individual had a, some loans out. So they had a few different loans, or let's say they had loans in excess or totaling $30,000. And they're paying on average about 8% on those loans. So and those loans could have been personal, they could have been a parent plus loan from school or a, a business or a personal loan they took from somebody. But basically, they, they owe somebody or something money, and they're paying interest on that. Um, the other thing that's kind of in the back of their head is, well, I'm I own my home. I, I have a mortgage, but I've always thought the idea of maybe buying an investment property that I could rent, you know, maybe a a little lake spot or something in the mountains that, you know, it can uh, Airbnb, but also, you know, maybe use from time to time, you know, so maybe I should take that $30,000 and use it as a down payment on a small place somewhere. So, and then the last is, or maybe I should just invest it, you know, keep it uh, you know, add to my 401k that I maybe haven't been max funding recently, or just put it in some type of investment, um, you know, that I can get some long-term growth for. So, you know, the, the, the question is, well, you know, what a lot of times people will turn to an advisor and this, you know, happens a lot of times at cocktail parties or talking to friends, Hey, what, what should I do? Um, and if you've listened to any of these episodes, the answer is usually it depends or, uh, anybody who can, who's going to give you the what I should do advice right there is possibly doing you harm because they haven't asked any other questions about you know other things that might impact it. So today we're going to talk a little bit about kind of creating a little bit of a decision tree that might help you through these questions yourself or maybe brainstorming this idea with a significant other who's involved in the decision or maybe a friend or a third party who doesn't necessarily have to be a financial advisor, but is looking at it from an objective standpoint and doesn't have any emotions wrapped around uh, those that $30,000. So first thing you need to do is kind of uh, on the left side of your sheet of paper, and I get, you know, if you don't have a sheet of paper, take out a sheet of paper. And on the left-hand side, write down all the things that you could do with that money. And let's keep it to three or four for this example. So we kind of talked about uh, the first one, you could take that $30,000 and pay off uh, the loan you have. Um, the second thing you could take that $30,000 and put as a down payment on an investment property. Um, the fourth option, the third option is you could, uh, you know, between you and your significant other, if you haven't really been, you know, using your 401k or pre-tax IRA accounts, you could get that money into some type of tax deferred retirement account. Um, so, you know, either through writing a check or through payroll deductions, increasing payroll deductions at, at work. And then the fourth option is you could basically just invest it uh, in like a brokerage account or uh, a, you know an, an investment account that's fully liquid. Um, so um, so let's let's talk through that. So we have you kind of on the left hand column, you write down all your options. 
And then the next two columns or the next kind of page, you break it up and say, okay, well, if I choose this option, what do I gain or how do I win? What, what's what's in it for me? Um, and then on the right-hand side of the page, you write, uh, what am I giving up? Because with all financial decisions, it's not necessarily that there's a right or a wrong. It's understanding your opportunity costs and understanding that if I do A, I might be sacrificing B. And when you look at the list of A and B, you can say, okay, well, I understand what I'm giving, what I'm what I'm getting, what I'm giving up. And based on my one to three year goals or my five to 10 year goals or my you know, view on money or my comfort with risk, I can make an educated and confident decision that's right for me. Um, my parents may not agree with that decision. My uh, siblings may have done something different. That, that's okay. I, I've done my homework. I've done the research. I've looked at this from an objective standpoint, and I'm comfortable with my decision. So let's walk through these these this specific example, and I'll you know these are some of the questions that I would ask or engage with a client on, um, or kind of walk them through. So let's start with the loan. You, you owe somebody money. You're paying eight uh, percent on a loan of thirty thousand dollars. So if you do the quick math, that's about two thousand four hundred dollars of interest that you're paying every single year that you carry that loan. And I know you're slowly chipping away at principal, so the you know the amortization is getting a little bit less interest each year. But let's just Keep it simple and say you owe $2,400 of interest. So if you were to take that $30,000 and give it to the loan person, uh, you would no longer be paying that interest. So right off the bat, in, in year one, you'd save roughly about $2,400 of interest. Um, you're also making monthly payments on that loan. So let's say you're paying $400, $500 a month on that loan. Once the loan is gone, you now have that four or $500 back in your budget that you could use for spending or, or saving or whatever it may be. So right off the bat, you're like, well, that's great. I would save $2,400 in interest. And I would also get back four or $500 um, in my cash flow. So, which, you know, sounds pretty good. So the, but then you have to go to the other side and say, well, what am I giving up? So if I give up that $30,000, I no longer have access to that $30,000. So now if uh, something else comes up, an opportunity comes up that I need some money for, I don't have it available, or I have to go borrow it again uh, to, to create that opportunity. Um, so you're giving up on the liquidity of having those dollars handy. You're also giving up on future compounding interest. So if, you, if you're taking the $30,000 and investing it, either in real estate or stocks or bonds, that money will theoretically grow over time. So by not having it invested, you're losing out on that growth. Um, so, you know, but you're also not paying interest. So if you are an aggressive investor or you think the real estate would grow at a rate greater than 8%, um, you know, you might choose to, you know, keep it invested. So you're giving up that compounding interest. Uh, you also might be giving up, depending on the type of loan, there may be some tax deduction deductibility of the interest that you're paying. So if you're no longer paying the interest, um, you, you no longer have that tax tax deduction, which, you know, paying interest just to get a tax deduction isn't always the best thing either. But, you know, that's one of those factors you have to ask, you know, what type of loan was it? What type of interest was it? Um, and more specifically, if it's a if it's a student loan that may have the ability to be partially forgiven with what's happening in legislation right now, you may not want to, you know, lump some of that debt off because there may be a way to get some of that forgiven. So, and there, there's probably other little, you know, minute areas of, you know, what you're giving up and what you're getting, but you kind of, you get the idea of just, you know, creating your decision tree of all the things, all the positives you can think about taking that action. And then all the negatives have started to take that action. So if you are somebody who's, you know, very conservative and doesn't like risk, you know, saving 8% on a loan may seem like a great win for you. 
Um, if right now cash flow is tight, so or you're the type of person that uh, you know if you have thirty thousand sitting around too long is going to find something to spend it on. Um, that may not have increasing value, uh, then you might get rid of that loan and take that four or $500 a month in your cash flow uh, to make things a little bit easier on a day-to-day basis, or at least, you know, you know, have a quick win and then you can start to accumulate money in other places. Um, so let's say, you know, you're, you want to talk about the investment property. So let's start down, same idea, look at gains and losses. So the first thing, you know, if you're putting money from cash to real estate, um, you know, that's a different form of investment. So if you have some stocks and bonds, having some investment real estate may be a way to diversify your portfolio or have, you know, kind of a different type of asset class. So one positive is you're getting some investment diversity. Uh, the other thing with real estate, depending on, you know, the type of property and, you know, if you're using it as an investment property, sometimes there's tax advantages through the ability to deduct, uh, you know, expenses on the property or maybe depreciation on the property that may have some current tax benefits to you. You're also buying real estate. So if you believe that piece of property might appreciate in value, you could be gaining long-term real estate equity in that property. Uh, and then depending on the rental market, or if you're thinking about using it as an investment property, you might be able to, you know, uh, you know, even though you're going to have a mortgage and some expenses, if you believe you can generate more rent than you have expenses, you might all of a sudden have some positive cash flow. So, you know, you you might ha- you still have that loan that you had above, but now maybe you have some cash flow from the rental uh, to pay off that loan while you're also getting some some real estate growth. So, if it if things go well, it, you know, it seems like wow, that could be great if I can get some positive cash flow from this rental property that'll pay the loan off that I owe somebody else, and I get some equity in this property. That that's a great deal. Um, so now you have to go to the other side of the sheet and say, well, what am I giving up? Um, with all investment property, it, it doesn't always work out perfectly. So if the rental market isn't as strong as you thought, you might actually uh, have be negative on your cash flow a little bit in, in, the, in, in the investment. And if you're the type of individual that has some excess cash flow you're, or making more than you're spending, that might not be that scary for you, but uh, it is it is a risk. Um, you might have some unexpected expenses. So you buy a rental property, all of a sudden the roof breaks. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we've seen individuals that bought property down in Florida in the last year, and, and a hurricane comes through and, and, and drastically changes everything they were thinking about. Um, so, you, you know, things can come up with with investment properties depending on where they are. And the other thing is you you don't have liquidity anymore. So you had that thirty thousand dollars available, and now all of a sudden that money is in this investment property. Um, so if you did if something were to come up, uh, you you can't just grab that money. And the other thing that makes it a little more complicated is if you have a mortgage on that new property, now you have a mortgage on your primary home, you have a mortgage on a secondary home, uh, your cash flow uh, and your debt to equity ratios when it comes to your credit scores and trying to access other debt uh, resources may be, may be restricted. So if you have a don't have a lot of wiggle room in the rest of your plan and no other assets and you're thinking, maybe I can parlay this $30,000 into an investment empire it may be a little bit more of an aggressive strategy. Um, so, you know, you have to understand both the pros and the cons. So there's your investment property option. So now we've talked about paying down the loan. We talked about, you know, saving into an investment property. So you keep moving down your decision tree and say, okay, what if I could, um, you know, I currently put three to 5% into my 401k. 
But according to the the documents, uh, I can put in uh, up to twenty thousand dollars a year, twenty you know a little over twenty thousand dollars a year, and I'm only putting in about five thousand. So, and my significant others doing the same thing. So we actually have the ability to to take this whole thirty thousand dollars at least for one year, and shelter it into our four hundred one ks or IRAs or whatever it may be. Um, so maybe we should do that. And what would be the gains there? So if you take you know, thirty thousand dollars, and you're able to get it into your four hundred one k in one year. Um, that's going to have some immediate tax savings. So, because it's a pre-tax uh, deduction or tax uh, pre-tax savings, you're going to lower your taxable income. You know, and whatever tax rate you're in. So, let's say you're in the twenty-two percent federal tax rate. Uh, that thirty thousand dollars of savings is going to equate to roughly about a you know sixty-four hundred dollar uh, tax savings in that year. Um, so, you know, right off the bat, if you're paying less in income taxes, what's going to mean your net paycheck is going to be a little bit higher from your employer because less has to go to the government or in April, you're going to get a big tax refund. So right off the bat, you're getting some tax deductibility. Uh, those dollars are now staying invested and, you know, you might have some future appreciation and growth depending on the level of risk you take in your in your portfolio. And, you know, if you're in your... 30s, you're most likely looking at a 30 plus year investment time frame. So you're you're probably more on the aggressive standpoint. And you know, uh, you know, looking at historical equity returns compared to um, you know, cash and other assets, you know, that they, they, they you know, mathematically is going to look like a, a good long-term investment. Um, and yes, you are giving up some liquidity, but a 401k does have a loan provision, so or you know, the ability to access funds for certain situations. So Although it is invested for the long term, there are some caveats where you could gain some liquidity um, from from those dollars. Um, so now you have to go to the other side of the ledger and say, well, what am, what am I giving up? And I mentioned you do have some access to liquidity, but you are giving up liquidity, uh, ease of liquidity you know, without having to take a loan or, or maybe take a, a partial distribution. Um, you're also creating more of a future tax bill. So... Uh, money that you invest in your 30s, you pay 20, you you save that 22% income tax. But when you turn 72 or later in life, when you want to access that money after 59 and a half, you have to pay income taxes, not on the money, not only on the money you saved. So not only on the $30,000 you saved, but anything it's earned. So if you let that $30,000 grow for 30 years and it grows to be $500,000, in order to access that $500,000, you have to pay income taxes on the entire amount. So you're kind of creating a future tax bill. Um, and depending on what tax rate you're in, that may be a good or a bad thing. So if you're in the 12% income tax bracket, you're probably better off paying the taxes now uh, than in you know retirement when you might be in a higher tax bracket. So your 401k is another option. And then the final option is just keeping it in a liquid investment account. So if it is long-term money, uh, you don't want to just have it sitting in the bank or in cash. So the final kind of item that we talked about on the left side of the of the sheet is just keeping those dollars invested in like a brokerage account or something that's liquid. Um, and you know the benefit here is what you're going to gain from it is liquidity. So if you put the money into a, a diversified stock or bond portfolio, you you know you, your expectation is you'll generate greater returns than uh, you know sitting in cash. So you have some possible upside market performance. Um, you also have liquidity to those dollars since they're, they're not tied up in a pre-tax retirement account or equity in a home. If you needed uh, that that money, you could access it. Um, you know, 
flipping to the other side of the ledger, uh, you know, what's the risk is the risk is if you needed the money, say in a six or 12 or 24 month time period, as we've seen in, you know, 2022, markets can go down and even bonds can lose money. So uh, obviously you do have a little bit of, you know, uh, depending on the amount of risk you take with those dollars, you have some principal volatility potentially. Um, but you're, if you're thinking about it as a long-term investment strategy, you're going to have, you know, the idea for long-term growth, um, on the downside of what you're giving up um, is because they're in a taxable account, any capital gains, dividends, interests, you know, could generate some ongoing tax liability. So you, the principal that you invest, the $30,000 is always uh, income tax free because you've already paid tax on that money. Um, but the any gains or distributions uh, would be taxable. So in a situation where that $30,000 was invested and over the next five years happened to double in value, and now you have $60,000 in, in that that pot. Um, if you were to take that $60,000 and use it to do a home renovation or buy something at that point, the $30,000 of growth would be taxable uh, at long-term capital gains rates. So still favorable tax treatment, um, but there might be some tax components that you have to worry about. So um, as you can imagine, you know, the what should I do question is not always that simple. And understanding, you know, this kind of decision tree can, can really help to, uh, in the beginning, it might feel like it adds stress because you're like, oh my gosh, there's so many different options and oh, so many things I hadn't thought about. And now I'm getting even more anxious about what to do with this money. Maybe I should do nothing and just keep it in cash. But, um, you know, having a sounding board, whether it be a financial advisor or someone you trust, is help, helping you identify all the possible pathways, but also maybe putting some, some blinders on so that you're not uh, going too far off the spectrum of, you know, possibilities and things to worry about, um, you know, because there's a term out there that some advisors will talk about called analysis paralysis. And it's when you try to think about so many different variables and so many different factors that you keep coming up with reasons to do something and another reason to not do it. And that can stretch on and ultimately people do nothing. So it's not uncommon for me to, you know, meet people that had that $30,000 in cash two or three years ago before I'd met them. And, you know, two or three years later, it's still sitting in cash. Uh, and they're still paying interest on that loan at 8%. And they're not maximizing their tax savings through work, uh, just because they weren't sure and they didn't want to make a mistake. Um, so in, in this situation, the only thing that's uh, is wrong is unless that money is needed to buy something in the next six to 12 months, keeping it in cash and earning zero interest is probably the only bad decision because you are um, sacrificing long-term growth potential or you're paying additional interest. Um, so there's probably some better option than having too much money sitting in cash. Um, but like I said, you don't want to make the decision quickly and then regret it later. So, you know, going through this, this decision-making process can be really helpful, um, you know, in all different types of financial scenarios, you know, you can use it when, you know, considering a job change, you kind of look at the financial benefits of a pay raise versus a loss of a benefit, maybe on the other side. Maybe when you're thinking about changing homes or buying a home versus renting or, you know, you know it really comes into, you know, a lot of different scenarios. So um, as you go through this and you start to practice this exercise and get better at this, you'll find that you, you can create the tree a lot quicker. You'll find that you can get to the right decision for you a lot faster. 
And then also your confidence in those decisions will increase so that if anyone kind of, you know, questions you, it's like, oh, why'd you do that? You should have done this, should have done that. You can say, you know what? I got this. I know exactly why I did it, why it's right for me. And you, you can um, uh, keep your advice to yourself. Uh, obviously, you're not going to say those words out loud, but you can smile nicely, politely and and thank them uh, behind uh, behind the scenes. So um, as you kind of search through this, if you if you are fortunate enough to have that thirty thousand dollars of found money and maybe it's five thousand or maybe it's one hundred thousand, who knows? Uh, you know, you can kind of put some of these theories into practice and, and help you increase your uh, decision-making when it comes to these dollars. So, because there's not uh, a one size fits all or a right solution for everybody, but there is a right solution for you. Until next time, thanks for listening. And I'm Matt Schroeder. Now, I hope you can apply some of what you heard today to improve your relationship with money. And thanks again for listening. Until next time, I'm Great Points with Matt Schroeder. Great Points is hosted by Matt Schroeder. Great Point Wealth Advisors is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Great Point Wealth Advisors does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through Great Points. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.